Good morning. How are you doing? I am good. I am great. Just hanging in there and enjoying the weekend. <laughs> same, same. It was, it was a really rough week for me. Yeah. What's yeah. going on? I, I feel like, you know, I'm part in like imposter syndrome where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And like, I know I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And there's just things that are just like, it's so much easy when somebody paves the path for you. Yes. <laughs> versus being in this unknown. It's like, what am I doing? I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, tell me what to do. And it's like, no one can tell you what to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This week was hard. It was I'm definitely looking forward to the weekend to just like turn off and relax and I think it was a few years ago I don't even know if it was you or someone talking to me about the Sabbath day yeah now the Sabbath day is for rest and it doesn't Sabbath is actually on Saturdays not Sundays and it's just a day like one of my friend's families they would practice it every Saturday morning and mm-hmm. they would I mean, turn off the electricity, they turn off the TV, they would not do any chores, and they would just be together, um, you know, make food together and just, like, have communion and just, like, <sighs> just relax. Like, it didn't, they didn't have to be together, but, like, everyone in the house was dedicated to, like, a season of rest for the at least, like, half the day. Yep. And I try to institute that in my life every day where I pick, like, a day, like, okay, I'm not going to do anything today, <laughs> like. I just can't. Like, I can't continue mm-hmm. to go, go, go. Yeah. Everything has to recharge, including us. And that's, like, I know I don't function unless I take a Sabbath. <laughs> right. When do you take your Sabbath? I usually did on Saturday um, because I used to work in a church environment. And so Sundays yep. was, like, the busiest day. So Saturday right. has right. traditionally been my Sabbath as well. That's cool. I don't. I guess we haven't talked about it. I was like, I feel like you. You also do that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a secret to my sanity is Sabbath days and just nothing days. Yeah, that's honestly where the most creativity comes in. It's when we're relaxed and when everything else is cleared from our minds, and it's where we connect better. I just feel like it's such a great like reflective period. <laughs> right. Right. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Definitely. Well, Well. anything else you want to share? You want to go ahead? You want me to go ahead? What you want to do? I think I'll let you go first. And uh, yeah, let's see how things go from there. And then I'll, like last time, ask a few questions and segue in. So... I want to talk about today the importance of community. And this week was really hard. You know, it's not easy being alone. It's not easy not conveniently being surrounded by people. Like, I had to call on some friends and mentors this week, you know, to talk me out of crisis and bring me back to reality and help me kind of through some situations. And then you know, I had a friend come over and, you know, being able to pour into them and, you know, help them through their situation. And then 
I got a suicide call this week where person had been up for days and days, you know, felt like they were going crazy, felt like they just wanted to kill themselves. And, you know, being able to be there for them and being able to be that support person, it's a very, like, it's still very heavy. You know, it, it still weighs in my heart of being there for somebody during such a important time in their life. And, you know, I remember when I was in high school, when you know, you're the five close, you're the sum of the five closest people to you. And I remember taking that so to heart, like, oh, I want to be better and I'll be like this person, or I want to be better and I'll be like this person. And I'll try to like craft this circle. And it doesn't really work out in that super realm, but you definitely, you know, you attract different people and you can intentionally choose to be better. And so when I think about my community and, you know, it's something that I've created and I've cultivated over the past few years, I remember thinking to myself, like, God, like, what is it that you're calling me to be in my community? And I've always felt different. Like, I've always felt like I didn't fit in. I've always felt like the oddball out. And part of that is to do with autism. And, and part of it is just to do with my personality and just who I was called to be in life. Because I was created to do something different. And I was meant for not the normal path. And so I began to call out people in my life that I felt also felt that they were different. They felt that they were not the same. And I just remember I started off being like, well, you're just a different breed of human being. And I would, you know, I'd sit my friend down and I would say, maybe we don't have the greatest relationship right now, but you were called to greater things and you're a different breed of human being. And I want to be part of your journey and I want to be there with you. And, you know, even like LM, like we've met each other in person two times in our entire lives. And yet we've maintained a pretty great relationship over what, eight years now? Yeah. Yeah. Like five or six. Yeah. It's been I'm a like, while. I'm like, I was in college and I've been out of college for quite a few years. So yeah, it's been some time. And <clears throat> I, you know, I've intentionally cultivated this community where it doesn't all look the same. You know, it's not uniform. There's some people in business. There's some people in art. There's some people in medicine. There's all these different kinds of people, but they're all grounded in the same thing where they want to get better. And that's kind of the niche of my community is everybody's intentionally trying to improve and trying to grow in their lives. And I get so kind of caught in the bubble of my community that the world is just like this. The world wants to grow. The world wants to get better. And then I find myself, you know, standing in the grocery store line or going to a concert or at the hospital or even through a drive through And I just experience so much hate and so much just pain where they're talking bad about you or they're gossiping or they're hating on themselves or they're putting other people down. Like, you're not allowed to do this or you can't do that or you know, look at that person. Look, that's so embarrassing. Why don't they just, you know, keep their mouth shut or whatever it is. And, you know, you have the opportunity to change your perception of the world, change the perception of your life by who you surround yourself with. And I will tell you, I would not have made it through this week if I did not have my community. 
you know, there were several times when I was like, I was really struggling. And then a friend would call and they'd be like, did you know? <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm struggling too. Like, can we get through this together? And I have things to give. They have things to give. And it's not this one-sided, I'm always looking for a bailout or they're always looking for a bailout. Like every person in my life gives and receives hopefully as much as they, as, as I do. And, you know, on that, you know, when to develop this community, it wasn't easy. Like for me, it looks like aggressively loving people. It looks like pursuing people that are showing all signs they don't want to be pursued but I see something in them that I just can't let go of. I see something in them that just I want and I love and I just want to be with them. You know, there's a friend now for years, I just saw their life and I was like, wow, I just wish I could be part of their journey. Like, wow, I wish I could be, you know, closer to them. Wow. I wish I could be there for them or, you know, I wish we could be closer. So then, you know, I could give to them, they could give to me, whatever it was or something about them that was just so attractive. And for years, I just, you know, I'd call them, I would text them, I'd ask them to hang out. Anytime I saw them in person, I was like, hey, I made a huge deal about seeing them. And finally, for Christmas, they actually wrote me a letter where they said how much my friendship had meant to them by just going after them and never giving up on them. And it just reminded me that, you know, for me, we as the body of Christ are called to love people and to chase people and to go after the go after the one to leave the 99. And that's the kind of person that I want to be known for. Like I want to be known as someone who loves and that they felt love and not condemnation. I want them to feel the love of Christ every time they are in my presence. Like and to get there, I have to be completely whole. Like when someone doesn't text me back or when someone doesn't call me back or someone ignores me or whatever it is, it does hurt, but it doesn't destroy me because I'm giving out of the abundance of my heart and not the lack that I'm looking for. And so when I'm going after and I'm pursuing these relationships is because I'm already completely whole. I'm a hundred percent loved. I just have more love to give. And so I would encourage you to find your wholeness. What does that look like? How do you get to be completely whole? Because it's not in people. It's in yourself and it's through Jesus. That's where you get your whole. And the second part is, you know, you can intentionally change your community. It's one by one and it's not easy, but it doesn't have to be out of convenience. It doesn't have to be your coworkers or people you go to school with or even church. It can be whatever you make of it. And I'm thankful for my community and I'm thankful for the people that have gotten me here today. And I'm always willing to help. So that's it. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. As you were speaking, I was um, just thinking about like, community and that word and how like people use it today and I'm wondering maybe if you can talk a little bit more about what authentic community looks like versus like the shallow and artificial community that some people experience sometimes I know that's something that 
has been a little harder for me to define and then realize, okay, people know about me, but they don't know me here. Can you talk a little bit to what authentic community looks like and the different ways that can manifest itself? I know you mentioned, like, we don't see each other often, but there's like that connection there. What does it look like when it's authentic and what should we be aware of when it's looking shallow? Yeah, I think that first off, I think any community is better than no community. I think that isolation is a huge danger. So even if you find yourself in shallow community, that's so much better than being alone. But I think that authentic community starts with intentionality. Like you're intentionally choosing, I'm going to be present in this moment. I'm going to give of myself and I'm going to try to give as much as I'm going to receive. And being vulnerable, you know, Renee Brown, like I am never going to lose that of the power of vulnerability and the power of being present in a moment and knowing that you're safe in that moment. I think authentic community makes you feel safe. And once you can feel safe, you can get closer to authentic community. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank awesome. you for listening. As always, <laughs> I love how our topics always tend to complement each other. I'll probably say that almost every time. <laughs> um, I'm actually talking about rejection today. <laughs> oh, great, great. <laughs> but, um, there are a lot of connecting points as usual. So I think that'll be uh, something in the toolkit to help people navigate, like being in the in-between, because maybe people we're part of community or seeking community and they're trying to find a way to do it better. Um, especially people coming out of the pandemic that might not have been as engaged as other places where we have been able to have more community. Um, but yeah, one of the things that have been on my heart is to just kind of look at the way that we deal with rejection and examining and reflecting on that in our own lives. And so today I am going to really just kind of walk through, the power of the way we deal with it. Um, so whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in your spiritual context, whether you're in relationship, the way that we deal with rejection really shapes how we move forward and how we connect with people um, in a way that's deeper than we might, you know, be aware of. And so the three facets of rejection that I want to talk about are actual rejection. Like I applied to this and I got denied. I have the evidence of denial right here, you know? And so like those things that we can actually tangibly say, Hey, this is a form of rejection in my life. Perceived rejection. That's like maybe in our, like the things that we think through in our minds um, that force us to kind of create a distance between ourselves and others by what we perceive them to think of us. And then lastly, um, the um, miscommunication. I think sometimes a lot of rejection is miscommunication and the need to dig a little deeper and see what we actually need. It's like, you know, did you hear what I say or did you hear what you thought I said, you know? And I think we all deal with that to some level. And so learning how to manage that in our professional context, in our communities and in our relationships, that's really gonna be a key to going deeper and creating intimacy with others in a way that is safe. That's part of creating a safe environment, um, not just for yourself, but for other people too. Um, and so the way we deal with that allows us to have, um, yeah, allows us to have a space of dialogue. 
And so just kind of going into that first one, like when it's just all out rejection, maybe that date didn't text you back or like you got those denial letters from the institutions you applied for. That is hard because you're like, I am holding this here, you know, and I see this letter, I see this, you know, fail to return or no, I'm not interested. And I don't really know what to do with that. And it hurts. And so I think one of the things that we have to acknowledge first is that we need to process our emotions. Some people are so quick to like, I don't want to feel it. Let's go do something else. But that always comes back to bite. And that is something I learned in my own life is that whenever another rejection moment comes, I react to it more strongly if I hadn't dealt with the previous. And so I'll kind of walk you through this story of how God has really shown me how to deal with that in a recent situation. And so I have been in transition in my community life and where I've been spending my time. And so in one of those interactions with uh, a friend, we were walking through ways that we see things differently because of, you know, the way um, the communities that we're in. And as I was sharing with my friend, this like, you know, new path, this way that I was thinking about something, I just really felt this strong disappointment that it wasn't the way that they did it. (laughs) And then there's like, you know, that verbal exchange there of, okay, like this is, you know, why not this? And that's the moment when I felt the pain. I was like, oh, like they don't like the way that I'm choosing to do this, or this isn't the path that they think is right for me. And that was like a point where I'm like, oh, wow, this really isn't easy to grapple with. But it was in that moment to take a step back and to take some time to reflect that the Lord kind of went with me through this. He's like, can you take me into that conversation? And, you know, whether you like believe in Jesus or whether you're like curious about that, maybe it's someone that you look admire and like it's a mentor that you're imagining to go back into that conversation with you. Um, for me, it was Jesus. And we went back into that conversation together and he was referee. (laughs) He's like, at what point did this go wrong? And then I'm like, when he said this, (laughs) and then he's like, stop here. And he's like, why do you think this person said this? Why do you think that? And then long story short, what he did was cultivate in me the ability to accept someone else's disappointment, but not necessarily embody that for myself. It was like, okay, I know you're here with me. I suddenly have the confidence and humility to be in this moment. Um, But I also have the freedom to allow this person to express an area of disappointment without my own getting meddled in that. And that was new for me. I was like, that's a whole nother way to really deal with um, those disagreements. And I'm like, wow, this isn't necessarily you know, something that has to be a pain point. This can be something that's a growth point for me. And so that was just like one of the areas in which, you know, that actual disagreement, that actual dissonance, that rejection of, you know, maybe something that you're doing in a certain way that someone disagrees with is there, but you can live past that. Um, And then the second part is that perceived. Um, So that might be when we're like thinking about things, but we don't necessarily have the evidence. Like that person looked at me a certain way, they must not like me. Um, But you don't know that. That person might've been looking at the person 
past you. <laughs> I've had a lot of those situations, you know, happen. It doesn't mean that it isn't real sometimes when we perceive things, but it just means that um, we have to be really careful about the narratives we create without evidence. And so one of the practices I have is to always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like if I'm having a crabby day and I didn't say hello to someone, it's probably because I generally didn't see them or I was thinking about a thousand things and I don't want that person to really, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt. And so I always tell people to give people the benefit of the doubt. And if it really does continue to, you know, really bother you, maybe reach out and ask for clarification. Hey, the other day, you just seemed very distant. Can we talk a little bit more? Or, you know, you know is there something wrong? I think always following up with communication is better than deepening the story in your head about what could be happening. <laughs> I think that brings us out of ourselves and back into that presence, as Christina was talking about, with the people that are investing in us. And then lastly, um, miscommunication. This one is so big. I was actually reading a book on mindsets. Um, I forget the name of it, but it talks about the way that sometimes it's things get lost in translation and what we're hearing is not necessarily, or the weight of what we're hearing is not necessarily perceived correctly or communicated well. And so one of the examples that she used in that book was, you know, her going on this date with her now husband. Um, but when they were like hanging out, they were like sitting next to each other and they were like talking and he pauses, there's a long pause and he's like, I think I need space. And then she freaks out because she's like, oh my goodness, everything's been going well. Like, why, why would he say this? And then he kind of like reads her face. And he's like, no, I mean, like, actually, can you scoot over? <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was so funny because I was like, how often do we do that? Like our communication isn't clear and we're taking away something from a conversation. That's not quite right. <laughs> and so I think that time and the patience that it takes to really navigate okay, what is the problem here and what is not the problem here? What's something I'm projecting onto a situation and what's something that is actually present and actual that I can acknowledge in a way that's helpful. And so I think establishing strong communication and it's gonna look different with different people. I will say it's a weak spot for me. I am more introverted and very quiet. And so I like to write because I'm gonna be the clearest in writing. If you catch me off guard and try to have a hard conversation with me um, on a spur of the moment, there's gonna be a lot of miscommunication. I'm probably gonna to need to follow up with an email, <laughs> which is not the best for people that have known me to send those long emails. They're not always, they're like, okay, <laughs> you know? But that's because there's a lot there that maybe I missed, or maybe there's a lot there that wasn't communicated and it's on me to communicate those things. And so I find the medium that works. But lastly, just to summarize rejection in the way that we can look at it, is I always see rejection in this stage of my life as a litmus test. It's a litmus test of my confidence and balance of humility. And so if I am facing any type of rejection, whether that be the actual perceived or in the midst of miscommunication, you know, if I'm perceiving that in an offensive way, then that's an area that I want to check on my pride. Like, am I free? Am I feeling whole enough to hear people's differences um, in a way that might not be easy for me, 
but because I'm confident and know who I am, I can hear. And so that's like, honestly, a way that's really like reshaped that form for me. Rejection is something that we all will have to deal with, but now it's more so, okay, this is the test that's coming. Like how humble am I in this area? How confident am I in this area? And who do I, I love what Christina said about community. Who do I need to surround myself around to filter this through? And so what I do is take those hard moments um, of rejection, of conversations. I take that to a trusted person and I filter that through them. It's like, okay, what part of this is really me? What part of this do you know? And do I really need to focus on? And what parts do I not? And then and having that person really walk through that with me, I still feel loved. I feel affirmed, but I feel held accountable. And that is all of the difference in how you grow as a person. And so I just want you to know, yes, rejection hurts, but it doesn't have to be a tool to keep us back. It can sharpen us and help us to see reflectively where we're standing in terms of our confidence and humility. And yeah, we're always going to want to filter that through trusted sources. And so thank you. That's awesome. I, I love that you said you're like, you know, perceived rejection, like bringing clarity and, and communication to versus what we think that something was like, how do we do that? Like, how do you actually do that? Sure. Um, well, I asked myself a core question. I look for my investigative mindset. I look for the evidence. I'm like, what did this person specifically do or say that was direct, a re- direct action of it? Um, and so if I can't find that, if it's like, oh, they did this, but it takes me reading into that, then I'm like, okay, let's step back. And that's a moment for clarity. Like this may have happened, but it might not have happened for the reason. Like if I said something and someone didn't respond back, like in a verbal conversation, I'm like, did they not hear me? Did I say it too low? Like, are they like, what's going on here? And so honestly, just be like, I said something and you didn't respond or you talked over me. And what was that about? And then this person's like, oh, I didn't realize this. And it might be like, like I had this conversation with a previous roommate. They're like, oh, like that's in our family. This is just the way we communicate. We talk over each other. The loudest person gets heard. That's not like rude. That's just like the way we communicate. And I was like, oh, I thought that y'all were just being rude all the time. Dang. <laughs> and so it's like, no, that was normal. That's like how we get heard. That's what I've been taught, like how you get heard. And I'm like, oh, well, I understand differently now from your perspective. Um, For me, like for me to have a space in a conversation, I need, I think I've mentioned this last time, a pause. I need Mm -hmm. like some facilitation and like an invitation in because then I'm like, am I in the way? Like I'm perceiving I'm in the way then if I'm, you know, exerting myself. (laughs) And so that was like just where there was a cultural barrier and there wasn't anything. It was perceived, you know? And so. Right you know, clarification through asking. And then lastly, like what you can do if you don't have that ability to talk right away is always assume the best. Like there is something legitimate. I know this person has done X, Y, and Z that shows that they support me. So I'm going to like, we'll figure that out in a second, but they have evidence of actually like being there for me. So look for the evidence of support more so than the evidence like that there's something wrong. (laughs) Right. What do you say to someone who doesn't like conflict? Because everything you're saying is just so con like conflict driven. Like you're yeah. like, say something to them or do something or, you know, think yeah. about it. Like, 
What do you do if you don't like conflict? Well, conflict is, I'm one of those people, conflict is so healthy um, in terms of like, how do I say, even the word confrontation, I think has a negative connotation, but it just means to confront something, you know, Um, and conflict just means, you know, that something isn't fitting. And so you're working to find a mediation. And so if there's not a mediation, you're working to come to an understanding. Um, And so I think that's a place of advocacy. I find conflict to be a place of advocacy, but also a place of respect. I know that sounds really weird, but I'll give you an example. I, I wouldn't say I'm anti-confrontational, but I don't like to exert myself if it's not needed. But I realized that some of my relationships are suffering because people didn't know what to do, you know? And so it's like, I actually have to tell you what to do to be merciful. Like, it's not mercy to set you up for failure the next time. And so we have to address this because you do genuinely have the desire to want to change something. And I would have the desire to want the ability to change something for you if there was something I needed to change for us to work together better. I wouldn't want that kept away. And so it's actually something that allows you to get closer to the person and to understand better. And so I think just do it in a way that works for you. Like I said, if you don't need to, you don't want to have that conversation face to face, or maybe that's an emotional strain, email a written letter. I love how you said that your friend wrote you a letter. I'm a letter writer. I'm an email writer. Sometimes it doesn't need to be that long. And so I'll like force myself out of my comfort zone and send like a text message. (laughs) Um, And so I think there are different ways that you can do that, whether that be with another friend present, not in a way that's condemning, but, you know, maybe someone who helps you feel strong and encouraged, but also is impartial to both sides and is a unifying person in your life. Maybe that's through writing. And some people maybe it's through maybe not viewing it as conflict, but conflict resolution. Like, okay, there's something going wrong. This person doesn't know we need to enter conflict resolution. So just adding that second word to what you're doing can change the perspective of it. I think you kind of said this pretty quickly, but if you're going to have conflict, like conflict resolution, you said something where you took a pause and you had like wrote an email, you wrote something long and then you didn't send it. So like, what is the key of knowing our emotional state when we enter into a conflict resolution? Sure. Uh, The third party friend. So that case, I, there are some cases where I'm like, I need someone else to to read this. So I'll have someone else read it before I send it. And then they'll be like, hold off a little bit. And then I'll hold (laughs) off a little bit. And then I'll see, okay, there are two times. Okay. I'll tell you the story. There are two times I kind of did this and I took a pause and like the next day, if these are the things that I'm so convicted by, and I don't need to really change the language, I'll move forward. And there are two times I did. I was like, okay, if I am still in this state, you know, after X time, then, and these things are still true, then I will move forward. But part of that conflict resolution is if there were convictions that might've been hard for someone to digest is that you go back in and you also like reassure that person that you're still there for them and that you care about them, that it wasn't about your anger or about your dissatisfaction or whatever the conflict resolution was. It's not about just this. It's about because you matter to me and I know I matter to you. And because you matter, if this was received the wrong way, then I want to come in and let you know that I'm still like 
okay with you and apologize if maybe it was done wrong. Right. I almost feel like our two, two speeches were on pursuing versus being pursued. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about like what it looks like to pursue something. And you talked about like when you're receiving these things and when you're being pursued, how to contribute to the conversation, mm-hmm. like how to stand up for yourself, like how to voice the things that maybe you're not sure how to voice or how it doesn't really mean, you know, what you think it means if that's not their intentions. Yeah. I think that's interesting. 